she's all that doesn't care about covid she's all that needs to get filmed she's all that just got sanctioned by the uh los angeles city council she's all that is why you can't get a covid test yeah i'm all that right about now uh <laughs> my name is ryan mancini of course this is mars on life uh joined with me as always sebastian shug thank you for having me um growing less and less of an ego by the day uh, as opposed to the people I follow on Instagram who, um, and this is going to be really anecdotal when I say this, but I hope it could lend itself into the joke, getting less and less ego by the day, more so than the people I follow on Instagram who publish their own music, right? Like who mm -hmm. distribute their own music. And tis the season of Spotify unwrapped, right? So oh. you can, uh, you can like see what other people are listening to. And these cockburns are listening to their own music. This is my Spotify unwrapped. I'm like, that's your own fucking music. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I, in, I, the, in the air that is artistic egotism, <laughs> all I got to say is you weren't slick before. You could have been by simply not bothering to post your Spotify unwrapped playlist. I don't know. You know. Yeah, the internet has given people the opportunity to showcase things that, um, you know, perhaps we care about more than the average person. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you, uh, I wouldn't have cared about it had you not shown it, and I would, and I don't care about it now. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like, listen, people, I understand you like Randy Newman's "I Love L.A." I understand you're trying really hard to be a, a tried and true communist but for goodness sake you know december just started which by the way first mars on life episode in december uh-huh mm. um but also just the fact that it, it just seems redundant in a weird way it, it's kind of like look people like i i see your instagram stories i i know who you listen to i you know i don't have a spotify except for this show but that's also just because I'm a flipping Neanderthal with my, you know, Apple, I, you know, old, well, the it, old, it, the it, iTunes it's library. Just, like, it's like, it's weird. I'm not sitting there cooped up in my room listening to my ham radio, uh, yielding for the good old days of nuclear war. But, <laughs> you know, I do have an iPhone. I do have what I consider to be the latest technology. It may not be the greatest, but I'm not wasting my days incentivizing my day uh, showcasing what I've been listening to. Okay. Right. And it's not out of fear of, you know, not being accepted by my peers, quote unquote, because, you know, fuck you. I graduated college. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fact that it's just not interesting. It isn't. You know, like, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Mm -hmm. If I ask you what your favorite type of music is. Would you or would you not feel an automatic inclination to try to please me in your response? Oh, I don't want to say something that's fucking stupid or fucking, you know, so obscure that Sebastian's never heard of it. No, I'm going to say something relatively general, like mm -hmm. David Bowie, Queen, you know, like shit I've listened Beatles. to. Beatles, yeah. You know, Kendrick Lamar, like. And I think more to the more to the point. And I know Idubs said this in one of his uh, not recent videos, but a video of days past that he's like, you know, asking someone's opinion on music is like asking someone what their uh, what political party they identify with. You know, answer right and I'll let you live, but answer wrong. And, you know, I feel like it's worse than that, though. And I th this was something I, I discovered really early on when I was in college that. You could watch two people that you're dear friends with, dear friends with to this day, mind you, dear friends who hopefully will get on the show next season. But you'll see them talk about music, and it's as if they're speaking in Esperanto. Like, they're naming off these groups that are more current, but not only that, because of the oversaturation of music, they're naming off a bunch of indie bands that I've just never heard of. 
And I say that as somebody that I did go through a phase where I was trying to pick up on all of these different little singles and snippets from actual like indie or alternative rock groups. And it got to a point where I was like, you know what? This is starting to branch out in a weird direction. I'd rather just kind of stick with somebody and just analyze their whole career in music. And of course, that's what in a weird way kind of led me to David Bowie, that and uh, Torchwood. Um, but mm. I mean, hell lately, like, what have I done musically? That's different. I, well, it's not that different, but I just bought the art of peer pressure from Kendrick Lamar on iTunes because I thought it was a great song and I'm not, and you, I'm not, and you know what? I'm and not a big what? fan you of the could, album, but you could stop, you could stop right there and just say it was a good song, and then move on yeah. with the day. Which is what I think a lot of people, especially aspiring musicians, and <laughs> I would fucking know, <laughs> that when you make music, you generally want people to listen to it. Am I wrong? Like, no, why? you want people to listen to it. Okay. Well, I, I kind of screwed myself when I asked that question, because, you know, the tried and true reason... The tried and true reason ugh, you make anything is the fact that you were solely inspired to create it. That's my opinion. I mean, unless, you know, you, you put it in such a manner where only your close friends on Instagram can see it, if you know what I mean. If you already have it out there for, for people to see in the multitude of different distribution channels that music can be listened to, and people can just as easily find it with a simple search, why the fuck... Would you have your thumb up your ass by opening up your Spotify unwrapped playlist and having you be one of the top five people on there? Yeah. Okay. I understand that there's such a thing as like SEO optimization where you or let's say a third party company pays a royalty in order to have your name or your artist's name or what you do or who you are boost up in Google search results. Okay. And I know a lot of people do this on their own, and of course they don't want to admit to them do admit doing this because it would admit a sense of oh I'm paying my way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, why would you? <laughs> why would you put yourself in the spotlight and be like, oh yeah, I li you know, you know who my top favorite artist is? Me. <laughs> You know, I can understand Donald Trump voting for himself in the presidential election or people thumbing up their own YouTube comments. But <laughs> like who the fuck makes something and then just admires it so much to a point where they photograph themselves admiring it and then put it up on their Instagram saying, oh, look how much I admire it. Please admire it to the same length that I have. I mean, unless they're doing it in like a meta context Dude, only it's, then it's can not, i appreciate it it's not a meta context and it's not ironic right. okay it's not a whole like irony list of oh guess who's on my top five herder where if you explicitly stated that i would get the joke exactly the fact of the matter is it's like it's like oh I, i'm <laughs> i think it almost gives them a sense of like personal ranking fulfillment to see yeah. them their names alongside other artists that are much more prominent, much more popular, and they and they get it in their heads that they're on the same level as them. <clears throat> I'm not one to dock one's own musical talent or whatever, but Christ's sakes, dude, like, can we, can we get off your high horse for a second here? Once this came up, and this will be my last point on it, once this came up on uh, repeatedly on Instagram and Facebook, I was kind of thinking, okay, how is this? <laughs> what is this? Why is this? And why do I care? And right. I don't know. It, it's just baffling to me to keep seeing it and to keep seeing people be so proud of it and be like, oh, well, look at this. And it's like, I understand the fact that there's a lot of us that have been cooped up at home for a good chunk of the year for a very obvious reason, but if this is really the best we have to offer people in our solitude or in our confinement, solitary confinement, if you will, then that just shows the full jokerification of our society where we just we just don't care. It's all a comedy. It's all bullshit. And 
let's just show it off because I got nothing better to do with my life. And it's right. like, hey, here's right. a better idea. Take a picture of your favorite podcast, put it in a picture frame, and hang it on your damn Christmas tree. Uh, hint, hint, wink, wink. There. See, there's your accomplishment. And who gets see, to I, see it? Your family or your roommate or your pet or exactly. your spouse. Like the, the, or people your that you, the people that you actually care about, whether or not they see it or not. But even to, yeah. even to that merit, even if your parents didn't see it or your family didn't see it or your, you know, your closest loved ones, the fact that you sat down and, and I'm talking metaphysically right now, I know that we're yeah. talking about ourselves in the third person, but if you or I sit down and are genuinely happy with the way that hypothetically this episode, for instance, goes, then why the fuck should we care about what anyone else has to think? Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, Unfortunately, though, that segues into our next topic with an artist who uh, apparently, as as news would have it, doesn't care what people have to think. <laughs> Sia. Brought to you by the... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the ironically titled Paste Magazine. You're going to fucking name your publication Paste? I'm sorry. I, I know that's I know that might be offensive. Let's move on. That was just okay. It's time for Sia to face the music. Why Sia's music is harmful to the autistic community. Now, music, if you have if you aren't aware, if you haven't seen it by any of those other two bit Instagram pages of why this is all problematic, mm. it isn't Sia's actual, you know, recording music. It's uh it's a it's a movie. I'm just gonna paraphrase because um, I know that we were going to get into a discussion about it, but I kind of want to lay the groundwork for uh, what's happening and what the issue is. I have <laughs> Paste Magazine. I'm sorry. I have Paste Magazine here, but I also have a. I have an article by NeuroDifferent, apparently explaining why Sia's upcoming film music is extremely problematic and harmful to the autistic community, and here's everything you need to know. Unless you formulate your own opinion, then you don't have to give a shit about this. <laughs> In case you haven't heard, Australian musician Sia recently released a new trailer for her upcoming musical film, Music, in which a troubled woman, Zoo, by Kate Hudson, takes custody of her teenage half-sister, Music, Maddie Ziegler, who is autistic and nonverbal. Sia acts as the screenwriter, director, producer, and composer of the film, which is scheduled for a February 12th release. Upon the trailer's release, many people from the autistic community immediately responded with a mix of emotions, outrage, disappointment, apathy, and even hope. So we can we can pretty much assume that this is probably a 50-50 uh, uh, pool that we're diving into. As is the case with every group of people, reactions and feelings varied from person to person, and I do not wish to give the impression that all autistic people feel a certain way about this film's choices. However, as an autistic person, I have my own thoughts about it. Okay. So, bottom line, any kind of I can see why an individual would take a look around the room and see who's missing. And this was exactly the same uh instance about how the Mandalorian handled the Tusken Raiders and actually managed to teach a variant of sign language in order to communicate because one of the actors I believe was deaf. For once, Disney handled something a lot better <laughs> than and you know Lucas any film artist, for that matter. And Lucasfilm for that matter, yes. But right now, in dealing with representation, because Sia has, I, I believe, publicly claimed that she was working one on one with Autism Speaks, which, for the record, autistic people hate the organization. Or at least uh, that's the that's the that that's the idea that that it that the organization does not depict actual people with autism in a either a beneficial light where they do not provide the resources for them mm -hmm. or an apathetic light. Right. Which kind of sucks. Very much sucks. And that's just over. That's just understating it. And I'm just going to skip along here. This is not to say that actors can't give genuine and passionate performances of characters who identify themselves differently from themselves, nor that every instance of such is out of malice for the portrayed group. But now that we live in what is supposed to be a more equitable society, 
there was no shortage of equally talented actors who are LGBTQ+, disabled and by people of color, and who see a shortage of opportunities as other actors book these roles. So it's a double-edged sword here. You can you, the the main guff that Sia is attracting from this is that despite this film depicting an individual who is autistic and nonverbal, the actor herself is not autistic nor is she nonverbal. Thus, you have representation without it being effectively representation okay mm -hmm. i'm not sure if whether or not the studio screenwriter director in this case it would pretty much be sia and all tertiary components of her simply just isn't willing to bend to the uh how do i how do i put this in the most politically correct terms possible because i don't want to say that this is an instance of it being inconvenient for the other uh, for the other actors who aren't uh autistic but they would have to essentially work under different circumstances with an actor who is autistic hypothetically autistic characters haven't seen much prominence in film even less when they are played by autistic actors one of the most famous movies focusing on an autistic character is in the 1988's critically acclaimed rain man in which the neurotypical actor dustin hoffman plays raymond Re raymond and Babbitt. Babbitt is referred to as a savant, someone who is neurodivergent and highly skilled in a specific area. Perhaps more than any other on-screen depiction of autism, this performance has had the most negative consequences for those with autism. And then it goes into Rain Man and essentially how it has such an overbearing, lingering presence in so many autistic people's lives, and yet we have no actual presence in it at all. Mm -hmm. um, you can make the same case with The Good Doctor, where... Um, uh, the actor's name is uh, Freddie Highmore. Yes, mm -hmm. he is not autistic, correct? I don't believe he is. No. However, in and this is just speaking anecdotally because I know people who do watch the the show and do enjoy it. Um, comments have been noteworthily positive, not just in the overall quality of the show, but how it actually depicts people who are on the spectrum to this degree. I'm not sure if that constitutes sort of a, uh, you know, I'm I'm not really sure how to call it. I know that there is a term for it where you're willing to excuse this instance because of the positive outreach that the good doctor and Rain Man have caused, uh, despite not fulfilling the actor requirements, i.e. being autistic for the autistic role. Kind of skirt that while in Sia's case, she has not been able to skirt that. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> I think the what makes this so difficult in, in just kind of wrapping my own head around it is, you know, obviously, as somebody that follows film and the weird, almost regressive development that Hollywood has had where it's done itself in by trying to bend over backwards to seem diverse and seem new and more reflective of society and yet every time it does anything it winds up not not everything but there are too many ham-fisted attempts that wind up appearing very disingenuous and frankly you know it, it you just you keep scratching your head and thinking okay you know, obviously, Rain Man, it came out in the 80s. It's 2020. Obviously, there's issues with the pandemic, and it's not like all the films, do, you know, all the production companies can really hammer in on creating a ton of new projects at the moment. But you can still make a project that hammers home having a character that is played by somebody who is autistic. It's just, I think the represent the and you can't really call it even representation in this movie, but the attempt at representation feels very one note and almost stereotypical in such a way that it just further adds on to the detraction of the film, or at least based on what I saw from the trailer, which the trailer, uh, I, uh, I, I just, 
honestly, I see a movie like or I see I see a film trailer like this and I a part of me wants to have that reactionary feeling of man, it's amazing to live in the downfall of Hollywood because that's what watching this trailer felt like. It, I felt like I was watching an extraordinarily poor attempt at making a film that's trying to tackle not only representation, but it just seemed like, did she even try? You know, I mean, she's one of the, she wrote the screenplay for this, and I feel as if this is just another copy and paste story that is it's ableist and doesn't fit in 2021 or 2020 or really at all. Well, I was going to say, regardless of how you may feel about, um, like I said, and I've stated this briefly as a pa- as a passing sort of mm-hmm. pot shot to these types of Instagram pages where they get all hot and heavy in regards to social issues and then they outline it in a fucking dissertation. And I'm not saying that the information stated isn't incorrect because it isn't. Right. It's just a matter of, okay, well, if you could write this. Why would you put it on a platform such as this that is open to the myriad of people who are just going to negate it for the sole purpose of negating it? Okay, why not take this literary talent and put it in an actual publication so that people can actually understand, hell, even purchase the content so that it can be directly funneled back into the uh, into the organizations that you're proclaiming to support? Now, it doesn't help that I also, that I also think uh, that Instagram tends to be very disingenuous by the way it showcases its uh, people who use it, um, a la the fucking discussion, the music discussion that we just had. Or people asking you to Venmo money even though you can't trust them with money because it right. winds up going to an activist that isn't dead. Um, but, I will, but I will say this. Uh, there is one point on this post by, Neuro, by NeuroDifferent that uh, – it does speak out. Autistics don't exist to inspire others or fuel savior complexes. I would say that's half right. I'm not saying that autistic people don't exist for the sole purpose of inspiration, but I will say that the amount of media depicting autistic people, whether or not the actors happen to be autistic or whether or not, matter of fact, I'm just going to wipe the slate clean here and say that anyone who happens to be in the category of being either a minority, LGBTQ+, on the spectrum, pretty much any anyone who doesn't identify with being a straight, white, heterosexual man, I would dare say that the inspiration aspect works wonders in, re- in the realm of media. I mean, did you see Moonlight? Did you see Burning Sands? Did you, you know... Like oh, are, I, I have seen Moonlight. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I had it. Yeah. I just had these like are, a weird brain fart. So like, wait, Moonlight, Moonlight, Moonlight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 These are films that, that don't exist solely for the purpose of inspiration, but you know, goddamn it, they did anyway. Right. Okay. They showed a side of things that I guarantee you, Caucasian viewers looked upon if they have any sense of social justice in their mind, or at least understanding what it means to be on the same equal playing ground, playing ground societally. That they'd be like, that works because of X, Y, Z. Right. That is a good message. Okay. Let me continue. They don't exist to inspire others or fuel savior complexes. Our worth is not derived from our ability to make you feel nicer about your privilege. Sia has yet to learn this. Now, there is a way to do this. There is a way to depict autistic people... <clears throat> Excuse me. There is a way to depict autistic people in a fr- in a in a type of perspective that is not insulting and is actually beneficial to not only the actor in portrayal of uh, you know the autistic person, but the the overall message. And I would say the most prominent example of that is Peanut Butter Falcon. Yeah. With Zach Gotts again. I think I'm pronouncing his name right, who does actually have Down syndrome. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know how else to put it other than just putting it bluntly as, you know, it's it's not about the production crew and it's not about the studio behind it. It's just the message of 
who the actor is, who the character is, how that ties mm-hmm. together in the story. And if the individual, assuming that he or she is autistic, is willing to portray him or herself in the particular light that doesn't demonize them, it should be up to their own discretion. Right. Now, Sia, of course, didn't do this. No. If there was an autistic actor, that sort of consensual agreement would have to be uh, would have to be inundated and be like, okay, I understand that this actor is autistic. You know, are, are you still willing to continue with the production? Which is not even a conversation that should be even thought about. But you know, I can understand why people would feel demon well, i can understand why autistic people especially would feel demonized with having that being showcased and again i'm i'm largely going off both a trailer and uh her own tweets in reaction to people as well as uh, a deadline article about the whole controversy and you know between her handling of people's reactions to it and just you know i because i'm i'm one of those people where i don't immediately fall into a camp upon seeing the trailer and then upon seeing her tweets where uh at one point uh and this is reading from the from a deadline article where when one tweeter said that she and a number of other autistic actors would have been up for the role sia replied maybe you're just a bad actor and <laughs> like there, there's something <laughs> like to me i find that so maybe i'm reaching maybe i'm i'm just it just kind of hurt me a little bit reading that but it's like there's something just so cold-blooded about a response like that and oh well did again, you see, see like, did you see sia's response in regards to the backlash that she got Oh yeah, I have it Grr, right in front of fuckity me. Fuckity fuck! Uh, Why don't you watch my film before you judge it? Fury, fury, all caps. And, yeah, and, it, mean, and it's a bunch of fuck. It's a bunch of. Is there a term like like the term bootlicker comes to mind? But I know that that's not the right one. Of people in her, her in her, her replies, defending her, putting her on this pedestal, being like, "Don't let these self diagnose This is. I'm sorry. I know that the topic is hard but I am a fan of people who are so unhinged that they would take out of their time, that they would take time out of their day to write this. Don't let these self-diagnosed loons drag you down. Dad of four boys with severe autism here. These high functioning folks don't speak for everyone else. Remember there are children like mine who could not portray themselves. I consider it an honor and art that someone can. Okay. And that's, and that I have to, say time out on that guy because frankly if you're gonna put actors on a pedestal you're already and and mind you obviously we're so far far down the rabbit hole of people putting celebrities on a pedestal that any kind of reversal of that would probably take about a century to resolve but to put somebody like sia who you know mind you I've only heard of her a couple times over the last however many years she's been making music. I don't listen to her. I'm not a fan of hers. I've gotten enough of a bad reaction out of this from her where this mo- this concept for this movie and all of the effort put into it just feels wasted in the fact that, number one, it feels like a trope. Like, you know, oh, we have to help this uh, person who's autistic and can't speak and make her be her, her inner her inner little girl and it's kind of like no she is her own little girl it's just because it comes off in a very just uncomfortable light when you when you see that trailer it just feels very shoehorned in whereas with peanut peanut butter falcon mind you i still need to watch peanut butter falcon i've been telling myself to watch it since it came out but everything i have read about yeah no i've learned about the behind the scenes it's one of the it's everything i've learned about it it doesn't feel like a big caricature it feels like a genuine heartfelt movie that you know is not trying to make i don't know i I don't want to sound like oh it's not trying to make a message but at the same time it's it's trying to tell a story at the end of the day and it's not about you know 
oh, we're, we're going to get uh, Hillary Swank in here to play somebody that, you know, or Scarlett Johansson and have her play somebody that's transgender. Like, it, it, it it's not like that. Not only does it feel more like a movie, meaning something that would come out today that at least doesn't feel like it's being shoved down my throat, like a lot of movies do, and that's movies all across the board. But also when you when you learn about the care that's been taken behind the scenes, and especially, you know, we we talked about Shia LaBeouf uh, not that long ago, but like the stuff he went through to to really build a kinship uh, with what was the actor's name from Peanut Butter Falcon again? Oh, uh, Zach Gotsigan or G- yeah, Gotsigan? I mean, uh, yeah, I forgive me for mispronouncing that last name. Like. Everything I've heard about their relationship is so heartwarming and, you know, you, you just want to cry because it, it genuinely just makes you feel that good about people again. Um, but whereas with Sia, I mean, you know, I, I, I read this tweet and I swear to you, Donald Trump could have tweeted it like, you know, fuckity fuck. Why don't you let me win the election? Fury. Like, it, it's just so one note. And, you know, when I look at all the screen, all the, uh, not screen credits, but all the credits that go to Sia, like, that's concerning. For just, you know, take everything else out of the equation. The fact that she's got that much influence on this movie, it's mm-hmm. it's a little jarring, I got to admit. It's a little bit jarring, because that tells me that not only was this a passion project, it also tells me that... It was a. Like, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even sur- say it was a... probably surrounded by yes men. I'll put it that way. Like. Well, I would. You know, say you don't like it, you're fired. Project. You know. I wouldn't say it was a passion project. I would just say it's a vanity project. I would say it was a project yeah. that she undertook for the sake of. Oh well, not only can I do music, but I can show why my my different types of media are empowering, and that's great to think that way. If it's handled under the right circumstances and that there is adequate representation, okay? I'm not saying, and I'm, I was blanking on a few, few actors who starred in roles um, that that were playing an autistic character, and I completely went over the radar of Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump, probably one of the most popular examples, and no one right. seems to give him give him any guff for that, you know? Well, I think the element there is. Hollywood now is so much yeah, Hollywood is now trying is trying to be so Hollywood. much more in tuned with, you know, pop culture and, you know, identity politics and people and representation. The problem is it's the implementation of it that Hollywood, for some reason, can't get right, except a few times. You know, Peanut Butter Falcon, uh, this might sound like a total stretch, but, you know, the reaction Black Panther had, you know, that was something that friend of the show Kenny Barry like that that was a movie that meant a tremendous amount to him um crazy rich asians like there's so many movies that they hit the ball they they hit it on the head and they're damn good but then you get that one movie that kind of just makes you think wait a minute what year am i in again like cuz obviously with you know Forrest Gump with Rain Man uh what's eating Gilbert Grape the fact of the matter is is that it's the, the oddity of Hollywood and the fact that, you know, obviously we were not as a – what's the best way to put it? Uh, and I, I I hate using this word because it's such a loose term politically, but we are far more progressive now, arguably, than we were when the, all of those movies were made. But that being said, that doesn't necessarily mean that progressivism – is going to permeate in politics or in film or, you know, business, what, what have you. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. And I think Sia unfortunately took the wrong end of the sword. The other thing about it is in a year where we've had so few movies, the idea that this is probably one of the last trailers for a movie that we're going to get this year. And it just totally, it just doesn't feel like it actually has anything going for it. And it's instead caused people to feel very upset. And to the people that unfortunately, you know, the people who are autistic that tweeted at Sia and felt so dejected by her, it's like, that's really the note we want to leave film in such a bad year. 
Oh, but don't worry, we got Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, Wonder Woman, 1984. Don't worry, just shh, shh. I'm, I'm putting my finger to your lips. Shh. Don't worry, don't worry. Just go to sleep. Just watch, mm. just watch Wonder Woman uh, fight Kristen Wiig. It'll be fine. Well, well, in in, in moving it along, as as. <laughs> God, I don't even want to fucking say this. I wanted to go into it with with the pun equivalent to I can't believe it's not when I mentioned that it's a wonder that this next topic doesn't have anything to do with women at all. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. Just yesterday, and how prescient, by the way, because I was playing Beyond Two Souls. If you haven't played that game, please do. It's a great great video game akin to the uh days of heavy rain and detroit become human but more importantly it stars the now the now titled elliot page i'm really not going to go into too much detail about this other than when he was a she she used to be one of my childhood crushes I loved, in big brackets, I loved him in Trailer Park Boys. That's all I'm going to say. Juno, The Umbrella Academy, Inception, yada yada. The list goes on. The the fucking IMDb Mm -hmm. page is, is, if you want something to satiate the overwhelming, the the overwhelming, uh, database of what he has now done uh please please go do that uh you know again i just found it pretty interesting i know that you had maybe one or two comments to share Mm. about it but Mm. yeah it's kind of interesting i love the news Uh, you know all the power to him i think that you know some of the reactions that i've received about the news have been you know, one wasn't as jarring just because I know this person is uh, without and I, I won't name names from either of these people. Um, but I know one person who, yes, they are a bit on the older side. No, this is not my crazy neighbor. Uh, <laughs> but they have some issues when it comes down to, you know, what is feminine, what is masculine, and they're approaching it from a very from a very liberal point of view that is frankly outdated. And so that's where I'm like, wait a minute, this is not making any damn sense. Um, and, and mind you, that's also in conjunction with the whole scuttlebutt around a certain author in, who has created an entire uh, wizarding world, um, which I won't get into that because I just, the whole subject just bothers me to no end. Um, and then the other on the flip side, the more, you know, basically the same kind of reaction about, you know, oh, is this, you know, is is Elliot Page now going to be this like crusader about what manhood really is? And it's like, well, he identifies as non-binary, so I don't think he's going to be running around saying this is what it means to be a real man. Like, mm-hmm. chill, chill is what I have to say to that person. Or, or as I said to that person, LOL, chill, mom. Like, take take it easy. Like, calm down, you know. Um, and no, I'm, this person I'm referring to is not my mother. Um, <laughs> but, like, whatever negative reaction to it, you know, I'm sorry. What defines male and female, what defines normal, quote-unquote, is something that I think a lot of people just need to evaluate only for themselves rather than for everyone else. I think masculinity and feminine, well, femininity, I'm not going to get way too into it just because, you know, I don't need my own Twitter mob coming after me, but at least in regards to masculinity specifically, I think that is incredibly subjective. Um, and I say this as somebody who, you know, I, I am heterosexual, but not only am I, uh, somebody who grew up horrifically bullied with uh, homophobic slurs, but, you know, also somebody who grew up being basically referred to as feminine 
constantly, even though, you know, okay, I had longer hair at one point, not arguably not that different from the way my hair looks now, but I didn't look feminine whatsoever. In fact, I looked like a dude. I looked like a dude from Southern California. Like I, I could have been on the beaches in Malibu for goodness sake, like chill out, bruh. Um, I, I kind of look at it like it's a very subjective thing and, you know, I'm comfortable with my own masculinity. Elliot Page is comfortable with his own masculinity and, you know, I, I, I find great solace in reading stuff like uh, a good novel for people to check out is Myra Breckenridge by drumroll, please Gore Vidal, um, which is arguably one of the first major novels or just anything in literature about being transgender and it pertains to Hollywood funny enough um so it's 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 something that I think the concept of you know what is this what is that it's kind of like you know what when right now our current model of masculinity uh according to one political party is a six foot three cheeto uh you can take your masculinity and shove it I I just and, and and trust me, I, I could say the exact well, – not the exact same thing because Joe Biden's not a Cheeto, but I could argue the same kind of point. Like I, I just – what masculinity is, it's like, you know what? I know what my masculinity is, and Elliot Page seems to as well. So you know what? Again, all the power to him. I'm happy for him. I can wish nothing but the happiest of wishes. So eloquently uh, said. I also remember receiving a comment in regards to Elliot Page about, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, it's Hollywood, it's actors. So, yeah, which, which kind of alludes to the idea that like, oh, well, you know, there's no pun intended that there's an act to it. And it's kind of like, no, it's the fact that when you work in Hollywood, when you work in the film industry, and this is something I have witnessed firsthand with people that are not going to be, you know, the next Elliot Page or the next Leonardo DiCaprio or whomever. But it's the fact that, and it all goes back to uh, a bonus episode we, I'm, where I mentioned this in regards to the Bowie song, Fame. And fame is something that can definitely mess with people. The Hollywood industry and all of the reaction and you know positive or negative and also just what it means for your career all of that all is so toxic and the fact that Elliot Page can now do something like this in a time where he can be accepted it again it just further warms my heart that it, this can now happen whereas you know decades ago uh somebody like Rock Hudson never never could come out as gay because it would have destroyed his career. The fact that we at least, you know, as much as I bash Hollywood uh, in regards to the whole Sia music controversy, there at least are some things where Hollywood gets it right in terms of how to respond to something. And I think uh, in regards to Elliot Page, hell, even Netflix's response, say what you will about Netflix. I, I have my opinions on it, but at least they had a very positive healthy humane response well i was gonna say that the next point uh because you wanted to bring this up uh baseball big ball <laughs> doyers oh, doyer yeah um no this isn't gonna go into a uh into a, into a very meta rant about how people who identify themselves societally uh i.e being in los angeles with a sports team are the scum of the earth because you know there's such things that define you as a person okay and a sport that you can just as easily go out and play outside on any fucking diamond you can find at any park you know like let me let me put it to you this way any sport that humanizes you to such a point where you can literally go out and do the thing that they're doing is not something that should be celebrated over and 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 gawked at. They're good at their job. It's a job for them. Yeah. So, I. But we're not we're not going to go into those types of people. Let's just say. 
Yes. So with uh, in regards to baseball, which I will say is my favorite sport, I recently just finished reading a uh, great, great book that basically just covers the history leading up to and shortly after the creation of Dodger Stadium. Uh, And it's this great book called Stealing Home, Los Angeles, the Dodgers and the Lives Caught in Between by Eric Nussbaum. Uh, who's a sports journalist, man, this is a book that is such a tapestry of heartache, radical history, and the one sport that really brings a lot of Angelinos together. He goes into so much depth on such a myriad of people that all, most of these people cross paths with each other at some point, but, you know, learning about the people that lived in, uh, uh, Palo Verde, La Loma, and Bishop, uh, which is basically the Chavez Ravine area that Dodger Stadium now sits. Um, getting to read about the people that live there. Uh, there's one particular family that he covers, the Arachiga family from Mexico. Um, they left Mexico, came to Southern California after living in Arizona for a while. And getting to read about how just how, how they lived in that area. And, you know, Abrana Arachiga, who was sort of the, the, the matriarch of the family, you know, reading about their daily lives, reading about her children, her husbands, because sadly she had uh, husbands that had passed away, you know, and then getting to read about other people who would later be involved with L.A.'s very tortured history of you know, public housing and housing projects. Um, Frank Wilkinson, who inspired Eric Nussbaum with this story, uh, who basically said to Eric Nussbaum as an elementary school student, Dodger Stadium should not exist. And naturally, that was kind of the, the, the hook I needed to pick up this book because, you know, I, while I'm not a big sports guy, you know, there is something about, Dodger Stadium and its place in LA that definitely it, it pulls you in. There is kind of this weird allure to it that I would argue it's just tied in that with the allure that LA naturally has. But I also picked this up because it, it seemed like such a frightening allegory to what we've seen in recent years regarding homelessness, affordable housing, and gentrification. And all of the all of the consequences that you get from in regards to stealing home, the consequences you you see come out of this, whether it's politically in, involving uh, Los Angeles City Hall um, and the few city council members that either fought for the people of Palo Verde or basically helped advocate for Dodger Stadium's placement in Los Angeles. Um, there's a whole level to it where Frank Wilkinson. You know, this is a guy who grew up in a Methodist house. He ends up becoming a member of the Communist Party. Naturally, this book is set in the mid 20th century, so you can probably guess what might happen to Frank. Um, I won't spoil it just because his story is very fascinating. The amount of history that you get with something like this, how uniquely linked baseball is with Mexican history. Eric Nussbaum just does such an excellent job at weaving all these stories. It's very un- unorthodox reporting just because each chapter does not follow the last one. He's telling like five or six different stories, but they all work beautifully together. Um, you know, some notorious and famous people come up, whether it's Richard Nixon, Jackie Robinson, uh, LAPD uh, chief. William Parker, the Chandler family, who basically helped bring the L.A. Times into the 20th century. Um, There's a whole book about them that I recommend uh, called Privileged Son. And in a lot of ways, what I think makes this book incredibly timely is, uh, and this was something that I briefly mentioned to you just before we started recording, is the fact that we have the Olympics Coming to L.A. in eight years, which, mind you, that sounds like a long ways away, but the fact that we have so many crises going on 
even before coronavirus that are only going to be amplified further by coronavirus, the idea that we would okay having any kind of stadium building in a city that is already packed and literally overflowing, you know, I... I saw what happened in Rio with their stadium where basically they made a stadium and, you know, the homeless of Rio tried to live there and the Rio police basically told them, no, you can't be here. And the stadium wasn't being used for anything. It's just sitting there. And so in a lot of ways, there's a lot of very beautiful yet tortured history with L.A., which I would argue L.A. is like the embodiment of American history in that we are always doomed to repeat ourselves, always. And this easily goes up there with something like City of Courts by Mike Davis, which I've recommended before on this show, that I absolutely recommend everyone reads it. If you're a sports fan, you might be a little disappointed that it takes a while until they actually start talking about the building of Dodger Stadium. And if you're looking at it as somebody more politically inclined, you might look at it and think, why should I care? Well, it's L.A. history. If you live in L.A. and you're involved with, you know, helping the homeless or you're part of uh, No Olympics L.A., for example, this is arguably like the, I don't know, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's the Bible for it, but it's definitely the, uh, the educational precursor that we might have yet to see uh, in the years to come, unfortunately. So I, I can't recommend it enough. You know, Sebastian Hell, check it out. I think you'd love it. Um, I only have three sports books. So one's about fishing. The other one's about uh, Latin American football. So uh, I... I I, I that's why I'm not always qualified uh, enough to be on touchdowns and tangents, sadly. Um, does it really ha- does it really have that big of a learning curve to be on there? Ooh, I'm kidding. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, enriching as always. Um, I think we just about covered everything we wanted to. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we, other than- we, we literally brought it back home. We really did. We really did. Play. I guess if there's one thing I can say before we end, mm-hmm. uh, and this is just, I'm just going to make it really short and sweet because I, I know I suggested this to you last night, but I cannot stop thinking about it. This comes as, as a strongly, a very, very strong recommendation from, from someone like me who is interested in all sorts of miscellaneous uh I don't want to say, like, shitty media, but definitely media that you wouldn't otherwise find in a normal conversation. I just like weird things, okay? Yeah. And my weird thing this week uh, is Waco, the miniseries on Netflix. If you don't know what Waco is, Google it. I I don't want to call it a cult classic, but that's exactly what it is in both pun (laughs) and in in what I believe this uh this <laughs> dramatic miniseries uh, uh. has been since 2018 it's been around for 2018 since 2018 and i just got around to seeing it um yeah i i don't think i've ever seen a piece of media that that humanizes a group of people more so than this one uh take what you've heard from the various news sources that you definitely hadn't seen because uh, you weren't fucking born yet at the time of <laughs> at the time of David Koresh's outings, uh, <laughs> and just and I, I I implore you to actually to give it a shot. And I mean, despite all that, I like Taylor Kitsch, I like Michael Shannon, I like Rory Culkin, and I like John Leguizamo. How the fuck can you say that this is a bad miniseries? Okay. You- you got me even more sold once you said Michael Shannon just now. I And trust me, I'm going to watch it later this week. I absolutely will. I, I will send you the screenshots to prove it. <laughs> but Michael just, Shannon is, e- is an even bigger sell. So I'm just I'm just going to I'm just going to say that. Uh, Taylor Kitsch did a much. 
much better job than Rick Roberts did in Paradise Lost. Because after Waco, I was in bed, I was watching Paradise Lost, and I'm like, oh my god, there there is a right and a wrong way <laughs> to do a cult documentary. I gotta, I gotta tell you, the <laughs> I don't have a problem with Rick Roberts, but there's a way to portray Jim Jones, and he didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> not a strike on the actor himself okay i know he had to play a drug-addled cult leader in guyana but <laughs> dude i'm telling you t- kitsch he he knocked it out of the ball with this one so so did shannon all of them did you know liguizamo for one i think had the i still consider him to, his his theatrical arc to be one of the more fulfilling in anything okay. I've ever seen, going from the Super Mario Brothers movie to this. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a one-in-one. One. Obviously, he's done more in the time span since then. But, yeah, dude, give it a shot. It, uh, it, listeners. Reno in it? What's up? Uh, it, who, who plays Janet Reno? I'm curious. Janet Reno? Yeah, she was uh, Bill Clinton's attorney general at that time. She basically was the one that was like... Do it. Um, oh, uh, she she pretty much was the one that I said execute order sixty six. I I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I. Oh man, I do not know. Well, I'll I'll find out. <laughs> Trust me, I I'll, I'll recognize her. I I know my uh my Clinton uh Clinton people. Sadly. Okay. Um, <laughs> so. Where can the good people find you, Sebastian? You can find me on Instagram at Dr. Sebi, not Twitter, but more importantly, on my website, www.sebastianrshug.com. YouTube as well, under the handle of Seabass. It's actually growing exponentially faster than I ever thought it would because I'm getting started on doing a lot more narrations, a lot more different types of videos, so stay tuned for that. But you can find me, like I said, on my website, Mars on Life, Shugsy Storytime. I feel like a broken record because it's it's been, what is it, 46 episodes in, I want to say. And I know that's probably going to sound dated if I sound wrong. 45. <sighs> Always by one. I get it on. <laughs> I, I'm thinking it was 45, but then I'm like, no, it has to be 46. Because I remember yeah. the, the last one having an odd number, but... Um, Mm-mm. Because I, I, I think I threw you off with the last one because yeah, you asked me, yeah. what's the number? And I said, it's a nice round number, 44. I'm like, 44? That's a pretty round number. It's pretty <laughs> solid. But uh, where can the good people find you? Well, uh, I've paused on reading for the moment, so I don't have any new reading material to flaunt other than Stealing Home and uh, City of Quartz, which... Uh, I swear that's you want to understand anything about Los Angeles over the past century. Uh, that's your Bible. Um, yeah, it's dated, but here's the problem with Los Angeles. Uh, since 1992, almost nothing has changed. Uh, fun fact. Anyway, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Mancini Ryan. Uh, you know, just watching everyone and they're, bloody spotify uh evaluations if you will uh and then you can find me on twitter at mancini ra watching uh all of the recent congressional races and and thinking to myself well i hope voting blue was actually worth it because uh it's not looking like it um makes me feel better about myself in a way um (laughs) And uh, yeah, we we've I've done my best to shoehorn as much LA towards the end of this, which is a good sort of teaser for next week. We're going back to LA, Sebastian, except vicariously through a very <sighs> specific actor. So, mm. all right. I, well, until next time, then. Take it easy, everyone. Thank you for listening to Mars on Life. You can find us over on Instagram and on Twitter at. Mars on Life show. Uh, In terms of listening to the show, you can find us wherever podcasts are found. 
Uh, that includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and Radio Public. Also, don't forget to head on over to the official Mars on Life YouTube channel. That way you can find our full catalog of episodes. Our artwork is done by Zachary Erbrick, and our intro music is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. I've been Ryan Mancini. My co-host, as always, is Sebastian Shug. And just remember, if you keep on going, you'll make it to Mars. <laughs> <laughs>